So our scripture passage today is from Mark 15, um, kind of a short, shorter passage than we've been doing, um, 16 through 20. Um, just to let you know, um, Luke's version of this passage um, has Pilate um, sending Jesus to Herod. Um, and then Herod sends him back to Pilate. But, but Mark, as we've talked about in the past, if you've been here, we've been you know, trucking through Mark this year. Um, the Gospel of Mark, the writer Mark, he uh, is pretty brief. So he leaves out stuff he doesn't think is necessary to the Gospel message. So uh, Mark doesn't mention this trip that Jesus makes to Herod. It's just at, at Pilate's headquarters. So um, chapter Mark 15 um, verses 16 through 20. Then the soldiers led Jesus into the courtyard of the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole cohort. Okay, that was probably kind of the whole battalion. So that could be anywhere from three to 400 um, soldiers. Um, and they, they clothed him, they clothed Jesus in a purple cloak, and after twisting some thorns in a crown, they put it on him, and they began saluting him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck his head with a reed, spat on him, and knelt down in homage to him. And after mocking him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his clothes on him. And then they led him out to crucify him. Let us pray. Dear God, we give thanks for your word to us today from the Gospel of Mark. And we do pray that these words will um, speak to us. Um, that they will illumine our hearts and our minds, that we may indeed be your faithful disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. I think it's safe to say that we as a people are, are visual. We're a visual people. Our society, our age loves to look at things. We love to see images to get information quickly, you know, but by staring at a screen. We've all, we've all done that. We've seen people do that. Screens are big these days. I mean, even this morning, you've probably already been bombarded with pictures, with images. If you watch television at breakfast, or you turned on your computer or your iPad, you, you checked your smartphone, you played a video game. I know some of you might not have played a video game this morning, but, but uh, maybe the Ellison kids. Read, read did. All right, read. All right. Now, maybe even if you stopped for fuel this morning on your way to church, you know, there's now those screens on the gas pumps that you can watch, advertisements on the way. Or, or even when you go through McDonald's drive through now, they have those big screens that are advertising things. Images are everywhere, and our need and want for them explains why social media platforms, you know, like Instagram or Pinterest or Snapchat or Facebook, are so popular so, so I, 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 I um, looked up some statistics this morning. In 2023, there are estimated to be 4.9 billion social media users worldwide. 70%, now this kind of surprised me, 70% of American adults use Facebook. That's quite a, quite a high number. Fit, now get, get this, 57% of them are males and 43% are females. The amount of time internet users spend on social media, Facebook and other social media platforms is now almost, it's over, it's, it's over two hours a day. It's 151 minutes per day. TikTok, you've heard that in the news lately, is the fastest growing social network with one billion users worldwide. 
3.2 billion photos are, are shared or uploaded on the Internet each day. 3.2 billion photos, images, are uploaded on the Internet each day. And what's fascinating is the research being done shows that all of these images are making connections in our brains and in our lives. I read that the brain is able to process visuals 60,000 times faster than text. And those visuals, those images, can trigger such strong emotional response that, that new shows and brand advertising are, are taking full advantage of it. I mean, think about in, in, in the, the 70s, and in, in the 1970s, the average person saw, they say, between 500 and 1,600 ads per day. Okay, I thought that was a lot in the 70s, but that was TV and billboards and just walking down the street and things in windows. Um, but now it's estimated that the average person encounters between 6,000 to 10,000 ads every single day. Incredible. I mean, we don't even know what's happening, but it's happening. Digital advertising spending in the United States is expected to reach over $700 billion by the end of the year. Now, consumers in the United States and the United Kingdom say that Nike, Apple, Coca-Cola, McDonald's, and Google are the most memorable. They make the, the strongest impression. Those are the most memorable images out there, according to one study. So I thought maybe we'd just look at two of those today. The image, th this image is almost like a letter of the alphabet because the whole world knows it. I mean, when we see that image of the swoosh, right, you immediately think Nike. You don't have to see the word. You just know the swoosh means Nike. For almost 50 years, the Nike swoosh has represented fitness and trendiness and achievement and speed and success. It, it so dominates our culture that in 2015, 93% of all basketball shoes sold in this country were made by Nike. 93%. Uh, another real popular logo is the Apple logo. It, it is so well known that it's now as much about the computer company than as it is the fruit, right? I mean, you say Apple, you, most people might not be thinking of the fruit. They're thinking of, of their, their laptop or their iPad. This, this once bitten apple, if you know the logo for, for Apple, represents excellence, innovation, technology, and they say youth. And such marketing has helped Apple computers to earn almost $400 billion last year. Yet the power of visuals is not all modern. It's actually been around since the 50s. In the 1950s, television and print advertisers began to notice the sheer power of visual advertising. So, some of you will remember this, when, when the puppet Howdy Doody advertised for a children's product like Ovaltine, more jars were sold. I mean, there was a direct relationship. Quickly, advertisers began to hire specialists and consumer psychologists and researchers to figure out how they could get people to buy more and more, and they found out two things. They discovered that if you raise a viewer's level of anxiety, if you get them worked up or even uncomfortable, then they pay more attention to your ad. And the, the idea was, was 
was first suggested by a, a gentleman called John, named John B. Watson. He raised the sales of Johnson baby product by changing their advertising to play on the anxiety felt by new mothers about the health and welfare of their babies. And from there, advertisers soon found that, that images of new toys and beautiful people with exceptionally white teeth and, and women with full heads of hair and, and exciting places to visit could increase a viewer's blood pressure, up their anxiety, and then catch their focus. Colors became important too. Red, orange, and yellow stimulating hunger. I think of McDonald's, yellow. Blue bringing calm and white increasing focus. Think of the, the Google page and all the white that's on the Google page. Well, the second thing researchers learned, and we're going to get to the scripture in just a moment. Just give me another minute. The second thing these researchers learned was that over time, people actually relaxed and were comforted by an advertising image that did not change. Predictability, consistency, the ongoing presence of a symbol seen time after time actually began to build trust in consumers. The motto is consistency, consistency creates a brand. So maybe, maybe a movie labeled with the Disney logo help us know its content. Or a coffee in a, in a Starbucks cup helps us believe that, that we will have a good start to the day. This branding is very influential. It's found that, that, that politicians who wear a small American flag pen on their lapel are perceived as more patriotic and tougher on terrorism despite even their voting record or their personal history. If they have that image on their lapel, that's what people think. They're patriotic and they're tough on terrorism. Now all this is to say that the visual image sways us. It shapes our feelings. It affects our, us physically. It influences how we spend our time and how we spend our money. It, it molds our decisions. It, it's a powerful force in the world. Now I think one could argue that today's scripture reading from Mark 15 is the ultimate example, the pinnacle of visual advertising. Because in this passage, in these few verses... Not a single word is spoken. Did you notice that? There, there, there is talking in the verses before between Jesus, his disciples, the rabbis, and the Romans. And there, there will be talking after as Jesus hangs on the cross. But, but this passage, today's passage from Mark, is shockingly silent. These verses which, which record the violent humiliation of Jesus Christ are almost purely a visual event. And they reveal to us that God, in the life of his son, we could say, was the, was the first and greatest of all advertisers. I mean, the, the first image we see in, in today's passage is that of Pilate's courtyard. Pilate's courtyard is the place where the Roman act of flogging took place. And so, we're looking at the 24 hours that changed the world this Lent. And, and so it is probably around 8 a.m. on Friday morning. Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, is stripped and flogged. And, and this stripped and flogged means that he, he first faced the public humiliation, probably of standing naked in the public square. Then he was tortured by a band of soldiers. He likely was bound to a, 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 a flagellation post his body drawn tout against the post to allow for maximum impact on the back. 
torso, the, the back and chest were, 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 were laid bare, while strong men with, with whips knotted with stones, even fish hooks, metal and glass, repeatedly strike him. And, and we have to know that, that Romans had no legal limit to the number of times they could strike a prisoner. The goal was to actually rip the skin from a man's body. That was the goal. The first strike of that whip, there's no end in sight. And then add to this the taunting. After a night of no sleep, the beatings, the betrayals, the hunger, the thirst. Adult men beat Jesus with sticks. They, they mock and they laugh at him. They spit in his face. They shove a, a, a crown of thorns on his head. And in this picture, during this scene, there's no one who saves him. There's no one who speaks up for him. There's no one who lends a hand. There's no one who intercedes for this, this innocent man. And, and so, so this morning as you, you just try to visualize this, I mean, is your anxiety rising a little bit? Is, is your blood pressure inching up? Are, are you starting to maybe pay more attention to, to, to this man in the courtyard of Pilate's headquarters? Are, are your heart and your mind being swayed at all? You know, in 2004, a, a movie came out. It was called The Passion of the Christ. Um, it was shown in theaters across the country. It focused on the passion, the, the suffering of Jesus Christ in the last 24 hours of his earthly life. And whatever you may think of that movie, it was famous for its unblinking focus on the physical beatings and gore of this passion. And shortly after the film was released, a series of interesting news reports were aired on CNN, NBC, and even the BBC. In theaters throughout the country, certain moviegoers were, were reported to have left the theater due to nausea and dizziness, while a few were actually treated for symptoms of cardiac distress. And what's, what's, what's fascinating about these reports is that although most of these moviegoers had heard of the mistreatment of Jesus, they knew about the crown of thorns, they, they, they probably had read the biblical account of the Passion, perhaps multiple times, but they had not seen it. They had not considered the reality of torture in real time on a real body. They, they, they had not seen it visually. I don't know, but perhaps God in his ultimate advertising campaign wants us to pay attention. He wants us to, to yeah, raise our anxiety in this, this perfect visual image, God wants us to realize that Jesus is bloodied and broken because of us and for us. Each mark on his flesh, each bleeding wound, every broken bone is the physical reality of Jesus Christ paying the price of our sin, of my sin, of your sin. This, this man, Jesus Christ, tortured and alone in this, in this courtyard, I, I think is meant to stop our hearts for a moment, make us think that, that sin and evil are real and they are killing us. 
I mean, in, in Christ's suffering, we see the very real despair of the millions of parents and children, the widows and orphans, the men and women who have suffered under the weight of, of, of selfish human ambitions and greed. I mean, in the crown of thorns, we see the cruelty of the Holocaust, of abuse, of poverty, of bullying, of terrorism. As, as Jesus stumbles, Christ bears the burden of, of, of world dictators and, and family dictators. With each jeer and blow, he pays the price of, of dishonest CEOs on Wall Street and money-grabbing dishonest cheaters on our own street and our own community. In this one figure, this one scene, this, this Jesus Christ, this wordless scene, we feel the anxiety of our own helplessness in the face of, of such universal despair. I mean, you felt that before. Just kind of hopeless. Like, like, where is all this going? Despair. Jesus takes that on himself. And as we examine our own hearts, we know that there is very real truth in this advertising that sin is present and working. But, but the good news is that, that God, knowing us better than any consumer psychologist or researcher, also wants us to trust him. He wants to sway us. He wants to persuade us. So, so here's the deal. God wants us to buy into his brand and let all the others go. So even as we look, even as we look with anxiety and fear on the truth of sin and evil, God offers us an image of comfort God offers us an answer, a symbol we can trust, and that is Jesus. I mean, Jesus. You and I know him, don't we? He's familiar. He's the, he's the baby born in the manger, the, the boy who, who grew up learning God's word. He's the man who healed the sick and gave sight to the blind and welcomed the children and raised the dead dead. He's the one who, who laughed with his disciples. He taught in the synagogue. He saved a woman from stoning. And, and he actually ate with Zacchaeus. He gave us the Beatitudes and the parables and the, the miracles and the greatest commandment. We know him. He is comfortable, dependable, and unchanging. We know him as Mary's son, right? And it is this well-worn, well-loved Jesus who is bravely bearing the price of our sin. It is he who lays beaten, but, but unwilling to give up on us. It is this innocent Jesus who refuses to speak the words by which he could escape torture and death so that we might have salvation instead. It's this one man, this one Savior, who knows each of our sins. He knows our hardness of heart. He knows our cruel minds. He knows our lustful bodies. And he loves us anyways. It is this Jesus, you know him, who is enduring such brutal violence so that we may live in the promise of paradise someday. So that we might turn from our sinful ways and follow him. So does this image of the Son of God, Jesus, truly suffering for you, have any sway? Does it persuade you that sin and evil matter every time? And that the only brand of salvation with any hope, any truth, any value, any certainty is Jesus Christ? I mean, have you ever come home from a foreign country and, and experienced the comfort of a, 
of a recognizable, time-tested brand. Now, years ago, many years ago, I was coming home from Central America. I was on a, a two-week kind of mission trip there, and I, and I landed in the United States, and I was tired. I was road-weary. I was shaken by the poverty and the war-torn countries we visited. And right outside the airport was a McDonald's. Now, now it may seem silly, but seeing that sign, those arches, made me feel at home. It kind of calmed me down a little bit and, I, and started to give me a sense of rest that I had not felt for weeks. Now, on a much more significant scale, the, the, the suffering Jesus is God's loving sign for a world of tired, road-weary, and shaken sinners. You know him. He loves you. His intense and passionate desire for you never changes. He sees your sin. He offers you redemption every time. See, this morning, this scene, this scene, scene five, we've been going through these scenes of the 24 hours that changed the world. Scene five, Pilate's courtyard is about one thing. For, for you to see what Jesus did for you. And to realize that Jesus has everything you need. May we look at him and let our hearts and our minds be persuaded. Let us pray. Dear gracious God, we do pause for a, another few moments because we do know you and we want to follow you. And although the images of torture and humiliation, we, we so often kind of want to block from our minds, on this day, on this fifth Sunday of Lent, we do recognize those images. And we once again are reminded of your great love and sacrifice for us. We are reminded that it was because of us and for us that it all happened in the first place. So today, as your grateful followers, we come to and we give ourselves to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.